This is The Heart of Organizing, a heart-centered look at getting organized with 11-year veteran professional organizer Andy Hartman, founder and president of Clutter-Free Organizing Services of the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome back once again to The Heart of Organizing. Thanks for listening. I'm really glad to have you here. My name's Andy Hartman. So let's jump right in with an email that I received. This is an email from a listener. Let's call her Diana. And this email is read by my sweetie, the lovely and talented Sharon. What do you do if your spouse doesn't support your attempts at organization? My spouse keeps everything. We've been married for almost 10 years, and he still doesn't like me to organize his areas of the house or his belongings. I find his clutter very frustrating, especially in our joint areas. Our bedroom closet is impossible to walk into. His desk, which is in our bedroom, has papers tucked everywhere, including around the monitor. When I clear the clutter from the surface, he puts something on it. The ironic part is that he criticizes when I clutter. My house is a work in progress, and his clutter is a discouragement to my own efforts. Do I just leave his mess? Help! Thanks for your email, Diana, and for your permission to read it on the air. This is a great description that illustrates issues of clutter in relationships. But before we start, a disclaimer. People are complex... And relationships are complex, and it's really hard to get a sense of either from a one-paragraph email. And although I am a counselor and a graduate of the Interchange Counseling Institute, I'm not a licensed therapist. I've never met or spoken to you or your husband, and some of what I'm going to say is not even responding directly to your email, but instead is based on my work on this topic with other couples. So please do not make any major life-changing decisions based on this podcast. So first, let me make sure I understand your email. It sounds like the state of your shared environment is really not working for you. The closet and the desk are a source of frustration every time you see them, and you see them a lot since they're in your bedroom. It sounds like you also feel powerless to do something about it, since your husband doesn't like you to organize his stuff. You're not feeling supported in your efforts to get organized, and clearly, you and your husband are not on the same page. You're not working together, but instead are each blaming and criticizing the other for what's wrong. It sounds like this has been going on for a while and that it's frustrating for both of you. It's even devolved into something of a power struggle. I suggest you try an altogether different approach. Just try it. What have you got to lose? If my suggestion doesn't work, you can always go back to the way things are now. Overall, Diana, the strategy that I'm going to recommend has three parts. First, clearly understand your goals and motivations as well as those of your partner. Second, brainstorm with your partner ways that you can both reach your goals. And third, resolve antagonistic goals through either compromise or segregation. I know it was just a brief email, and it was never meant to give a complete picture of everything that was going on, but there are two very important things that are missing. There's more information that we need to know to move forward. First, beyond understanding what's not working, we need to get a better sense of your vision for how you would like it to be and why. 
Second, we need to get a sense of your husband's goals as well. What is his vision for how he would like it to be and why? I don't know your husband's name, so I'll just call him Jim to make it easier to refer to him. Since you and Jim are sharing an environment, it's not possible for either one of you to do this on your own. There has to be some kind of mutual agreement on how to move forward, on what you want the environment to be like. You must each know your partner's goals as clearly as you know your own. And since you're creating an environment with your partner, it's really useful to explore your goals and to formulate a vision with your partner. And that's what I invite you to do now. I will describe an exercise that you can do with your partner. This exercise will invite each of you into having a deeper understanding of your own goals as well as those of your partner. This exercise is an example of a type of exercise called a repeated question. Repeated questions are really useful at facilitating deep exploration of a topic. To start out, choose one of you who will be asking the question. Let's call them person A. The other who will be responding, and we'll call that person, person R. A will ask, what do you want? And R will respond truthfully in that moment, what it is that they want. Then A will ask, and what will you get from that? When R responds, A will ask again, and what will you get from that? After every response, person A will ask again, and what will you get from that? Person A will keep asking the same question after every response. R will keep responding, striving to have a deeper response than the last time. A will keep repeating the question until R feels that they have explored as deeply as they can and that there's nothing more to say. A few examples will make it more clear, so I've asked Sharon to come back and demonstrate with me what this might look like. We will demonstrate two times the first with her being A and me being R, and then we'll switch for the second demonstration. What do you want? I want there to be less clutter. And what will you get from that? Then there will be clear surfaces. And what will you get from that? Well, then I'll feel more relaxed in my office. And what will you get from that? Uh, then I'd be more productive. And what will you get from that? I'd get more stuff done in less time. And what will you get from that? I'd have more free time to do things I enjoy. And what will you get from that? I'd be able to spend more time with the kids. And what will you get from that? I'd feel like I'm a better father. What do you want? I'd like to be able to walk into the closet. And what will you get from that? I'll be able to access my clothes. And what will you get from that? I won't have the infuriating annoyance I face every morning when I'm getting ready for work. And what will you get from that? I'll feel like a big weight has been lifted. And what will you get from that? I'll feel like I have a partner in creating a functional living space. And what will you get from that? Um, it'll relieve a lot of resentment that I feel toward you. And what will you get from that? I'd feel closer to you. I hope these demonstrations give you a better sense of the exercise. A few more things to know. First, the person asking the questions, person A, will not say anything else. They will not evaluate the response or suggest answers. They will not give a disapproving grunt. They will just keep asking the questions and listening to the response. 
Person A, your goal is to listen and understand what your partner is saying, and the way you listen is important to the success of the exercise. You want to understand what your partner wants, even if you don't want the same thing yourself. For example, if R says, "I want the desk to be covered with snow," you don't want to be thinking that would be too cold and it might get your papers wet. You won't be saying anything other than the repeated question, but your attitude should be one of, "Oh, I didn't know you wanted the desk covered with snow. That's interesting." And as you ask, "What will you get from that?" you'll get to find out why they want the desk covered with snow. The point is to hear the response with curiosity instead of judgment. And now to the person who is responding, person R, you are giving your vision of what you want for your environment and how you would benefit from it. At this point, avoid saying what you want from your partner. For example, instead of saying, "I want you to clean up your papers," say instead, "I want the desk to be clear." Just express your desires without saying specifically how they will be accomplished. That part comes later. After you do it once, switch roles so that the person who was asking is now responding and vice versa and do the exercise again in these different roles. Continue switching roles and repeating until each of you has done the exercise at least 3 or 4 times both as questioner and as responder. Continue as long as you're still getting useful information. This exercise is really great for 3 reasons. First, it can be quite revealing. If you are both open to digging deep and really exploring, you may find things out about yourself and about your partner that surprise you. Second, you're not learning only about the surface goals, but the deeper motivations underneath them. For example, in the second demonstration that Sharon and I did, the first response given by R was that they wanted to be able to walk into the closet. But what they really wanted is to feel closer to their partner. It's useful to know the deeper goals because it may help you become aware of different ways of reaching those goals. For example, maybe there are better ways to feel closer to your partner than organizing the closet. Third, it can help us understand the type of experience we want to have. I believe that we don't crave stuff. Instead, we crave an experience and we believe that having stuff will help us realize that experience. For example, Michael keeps a lot of stuff, but he rarely uses much of it himself. But lots of his friends and relatives have learned that Michael has a lot of stuff and they often come to him asking to borrow something that he has. Michael gets a lot of pleasure in being able to offer his stuff to other people. So he gets to experience himself as being generous. Jerry keeps stuff to use as resources. He wants to feel prepared for anything that might happen, and so he keeps stuff so that he can have the experience of feeling prepared. So stuff is often not an end in itself, but rather an attempt to have an experience. Similarly, Getting organized is often not an end in itself, but also an attempt to have an experience. And based on the experience you want to have, you might go about getting organized in different ways. For example, this month I've had two clients who wanted help organizing books on their bookshelves. One client, Kathy, is a university professor who uses the books as reference material. Access is really important, so we organized the books in alphabetical order by author. Another client, 
Abbey has a bookshelf full of books that are never used. They're purely decorative. So for Abby, we put the books on the shelves in a way that looks really nice. Now it looks nice to have all the books of all the same height on a given shelf. So the size of the book was the only factor we considered in determining where it should go. They were not sorted or categorized in any way based on their content. On the surface, both Kathy and Abby have the goal to organize their books. But because they have different motivations for what they wanted from that organization, we went about organizing in a different way. Kathy will now get to have an experience of being efficient and resourceful, of having all the information she needs when she needs it. Abby will now get to have an experience of enjoying an environment that is artistic and beautiful. Especially when organizing with a partner, it's really helpful to know the deeper goals and motivations because it opens up different possibilities of how you can work together to succeed in reaching the goals that you both have. Now the exercise I gave you, when done with openness and positive intent, will help you have a deeper understanding of your own motivations as well as those of your partner. If nothing else, it's still a good starting point for a conversation about how to create a situation that works for both of you. So I now invite you to put me on pause and try this exercise with your partner. I'll be back in a moment. After you each have a deep and clear understanding of your own goals and motivations, as well as those of your partner, you can then negotiate to see if there's some way that you can both reach your goals. Can you find an arrangement that feels like a win to both of you? Often, this can be achieved. There's an organization called the Human Awareness Institute, or HI for short, that offers workshops in intimacy, relationships, and communication. They do great work, and I recommend them highly. They wrap up this idea in the following recommendation. Ask for 100% of what you want, be willing to hear no, and then negotiate to find a win-win. But there are occasionally times when two persons' goals seem to be contradictory to each other. For example, Jack might say, I want to have clean, open surfaces because I feel so much more relaxed in that environment. And Jill might say, I like to have all the surfaces completely covered because that's familiar to me and I feel safe and comforted in that environment. Well, of course, one surface can't be completely clear and completely covered at the same time. But even if the goals are contradictory, there are still ways to find a win-win, and those ways are compromise and segregation. Compromise is to find a middle ground so that each person at least partially gets their needs met. For example, Jack and Jill might agree to have the surfaces 50% covered, so that hopefully it's clear enough that it still feels relaxing to him, and covered enough that it still feels comforting to her. The other possibility, segregation, is to divide the environment into different areas and allow each person to take ownership of a different space. For example, Jack and Jill might each claim a room of their own. In his room, he can have all surfaces as clear as he wants, 
and she can have all surfaces in her room as covered as she wants. Some people segregate by actually living in different houses. Segregation can be done on a room-by-room -room basis, but it can also be done with smaller areas like tables, closets, even drawers or shelves. When segregating, it's often ideal to have some sort of physical boundary between the two areas, to keep one from overflowing into the other and to visually separate between them. To summarize, in this podcast we talked about having a deeper understanding of your own as well as your partner's goals and motivations, because this will help you work together to find a solution that gives both of you what you need. I gave you an exercise that I hope will help you to do that. Remember that often our stuff, our habits, and the way we interact with each other is often an attempt to have an experience, and ultimately the experience we all want to have is to feel loved and accepted. And finally, even when our goals appear to be irreconcilable, we can still find a solution through compromise or segregation. To Diana or anyone else, I'd love to hear your impression of this podcast. Send an email to podcast at clutterfreeservices.com or go to the blog at clutterfreeservices.com and make a comment at the end of this episode or even rate or review this podcast in the iTunes Music Store. Now, when I originally conceived of this podcast, I had a message in mind that I wanted to share and I'm happy and proud to say that I have shared that message. So at this point, I don't know when or if I will produce any more installments. In any case, I wish you all the best in reaching your goals, both in organization and in your relationships. I'm Andy Hartman, and this is The Heart of Organizing. This podcast includes no advertisements or product placements. If you have benefited from this podcast, please go to clutterfreeservices.com Click Podcasts, then click Donate. Your contribution will help defray production costs and support its production. Intro theme music, composed and performed by Tabor Shadburn. Closing theme music, composed and performed by Donna Lou Stevens. Thank you for joining us for The Heart of Organizing. Until next time, may your possessions support you in living a life of meaning and value. There's two kinds of people when it comes to having stuff Those that keep a little and those that find it tough To throw anything away in case there is a rainy day Oh darling, I can't stand it, you've got too much stuff Too many dishes, you have too many clothes We could feed the planet if you'd sell half of those There are socks and underwear on every single chair Oh darling, I can't stand it, you've got too much stuff I really want to love you you make it kind of rough There simply ain't no room for me With all your stuff Now I am not a girl Who is known as a complainer But I looked in the fridge At the hundreds of containers And the festival of rot Kind of makes my color hot Oh darling I can't stand it You got too much stuff I opted for the pantry Then to find a little snack Opened up the cupboard And I had a heart attack Stand it, you got too much stuff. I really want to love you, but you make it kind of rough. There simply ain't no room for me with all your stuff. I was feeling tired and I went to 
got too much stuff I do not understand how a solitary man Could have so many shoes He could walk to Pakistan And these polyester pants They don't even get a chance Oh, darling, I can't stand it You got too much stuff I really want to love you But you make it kind of rough There simply ain't no room for me With all your stuff in the shower and I noticed the shampoos. There were so many bottles, I did not know which to choose. Perhaps you're unaware that you're losing all your hair. Oh, darling, I can't stand it. You got too much stuff. I haven't had the courage yet to go in the garage. For fear that I would die in such a terrible barrage. How can I love survive if I'm buried half alive? Oh, darling, I can't stand it. You got too much stuff. I really want to But you make it kind of rough There simply ain't no room for me with all your stuff I really want to do this, but it's proving kind of tough Dang it, darn it, darling, get rid of some of your stuff 